Today we are continuing on with a very brief mini-series that we have just started that we are calling Moses Leading Through Faith and Frailty. Moses Leading Through Faith and Frailty. We have recently been studying through the life of Moses from the Old Testament. We have looked at things like the, the burning bush and the crossing of the Red Sea and the wandering through the wilderness. And the thing is that not only is Moses someone that we encounter in a great way in the Old Testament, but Moses is also featured very prominently in the New Testament as well. In fact, he comes up some Almost a hundred different times he's mentioned there. There's a lot that the New Testament writers have to say to us about who, God, or who Moses was. And there are a lot of things that we can learn from Moses. And so the New Testament author is saying, let's bring these forward so that we might learn from them. But in order to do, them for, or to do that, from his perspective, he says, we have to look back to the past. And looking back to the past is something that we all like to do, isn't it? I mean, don't we get nostalgic sometimes and and we want to think back about some things that have happened. Now, for some of us, there's a lot more past to remember than for others of us who are here today. But it's something that's important for us to do, I believe. And I actually, not that long ago, ran across a box of things at home from my past. And so I thought, as we got started here today, I'd just share some of those with you. So I've got them over here, somebody was asking, are you going to be doing magic tricks today? And no, no magic tricks, but I, I do have some things from my past here I thought that I'd show you. Um, this is actually a trophy that I received because my Little League baseball team won our state championship. And so we went on to the regional championship, and if only we had won one more game at regionals, we would have made our way to Williamsport for the Little League World Series. But we failed. So we didn't get to do that. This was my glove, um, my old glove, and uh, I'm kind of afraid to even put my hand in this thing anymore. But my parents tell me there was no sleeping with teddy bears, stuffed teddy bears for me, that I slept with my baseball glove and my baseball bat and sometimes in my baseball uniform. Needed to get a life. Um, so uh, what else do we have here? This is, this is something, my picture dictionary. I had no idea I had ever done this. It just showed up in the box. And inside there are 26 pages and there's one of the letters of the alphabet at the top of each page. And then there's a picture and I had to label the picture with something. I had to draw something that was, you know, started with that letter. And uh, so we did so. And uh, I thought I'd show you one of these. We're having a little technical difficulties today, but it might come up on uh, the big screen. Can we get to that? All right. Here's the letter E. And you can see I was a great artist. I picked eel to draw for the letter E. And then I drew this guy here. And if you look at the bottom, I labeled this as an elder. I'm like six or seven years old, and I'm like, yeah, I'm already into th- all things church, right? And so uh, that was an interesting find. Along with that was my Bible instruction class Bible. This was the gift that they gave us for finishing up the class at uh, age 12. It still got my name there in, in gold leaf. Uh, what else do we have here? We have <coughs> my Pinewood Derby car <coughs> that won absolutely nothing. Um, <coughs> I got one of my favorite candy bars <coughs> from <coughs> the past. Don't know why my <coughs> parents ever let me eat chuckles, but here we go. Best if used by 1982. So there's that. Um, we have my uh, Beatles Abbey Road album here. Any Beatles fans? Oh, all right, that's, that's good. 
Um, we have, uh, this is the, the program from Oklahoma, the musical. I was in Oklahoma when I was in high school. I actually was curly. And I, th yeah, there we go. That's, that's me in, in curly in Oklahoma. So it kind of hurts me that you laugh so hysterically when you see a picture of me. <clears throat> that was me in Oklahoma. This is, my, uh, this is my high school letter jacket. Went to North Scott High School. This is from like, what? 20 years ago, maybe, and uh, more laughter, and so just some of, the, some of the stuff from my past. Looking back to the past is good, in part because we remember, but it's also good to look back to the past because we can learn from the past, and that's actually what the passage that we're going to be looking at today is all about, and that passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I invite you to go ahead and open up a Bible if you have one near you. There are some near you. There's some under the seats. If you didn't happen to bring one, go ahead and open up if you would, and you can see some of the page numbers on the screen that would help you to navigate your way there if you're not very familiar with the Bible, or if you are, either way, there's a Bible app that is... Uh, you version you can go to and this is some of the way to get there or we have our pathway app and you can link straight to that through the pathway app our passage for today also in your pathway notes there's an outline that might be useful to fill in some blanks and i've got a couple of lists for you today that you might want to jot down on that outline as well so in this particular passage first corinthians chapter 10 the apostle paul here is writing to the church in corinth who were not living life, let's say, in the way that they should. If you know anything about ancient Corinth, it was a place of great debauchery. And even among the people who called themselves Christ followers, there were people who were just living these lifestyles that were detrimental to faith, to be sure. But they thought that they were in a pretty good position because they had some history, because they were Jewish people who had a heritage. And so they thought that they were doing okay. And Paul says, no, 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 you are not doing okay. And he says, in order for me to point this out to you, let me show you back to our ancestors. Let me show you how the way that they were living and how there were some consequences that came about for them because they thought they were doing well, but they weren't doing so well after all. And so he brings all of that up to their attention. He says, let's look back at those people from the Old Testament to learn a little something. And Paul's intention with this passage is actually pretty easy to figure out because he just comes right out and tells us. He tells us it's all about looking back to see the way ahead. And that's what we're calling this message today. Looking back to see the way ahead. And he says as much in a couple of places here. Partway through the passage, we come down to verse 6, and uh, here's what it says. It says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And a few verses later in verse 11, he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Then what Paul gives us in between those verses and around those verses are the actual examples. He says, here are the things that have gone on. Here are the things that we can look back to, and there's so much that we can learn as we do so. And so he wants his readers there in the first century and his readers in the 21st century for all of us to glean from what has happened so that we might be benefited and move forward in a good way into the future. And so the first of the things that we learn here from this, the first of the lessons in looking back to see the way ahead, <clears throat> is that past privileges do not equal future success. 
Past privileges do not equal future success. There is no doubt that the ancient Israelites were a greatly blessed people. And so Paul immediately turns to what some of those blessings were to say to his audience, they were a blessed people. I don't want you to miss that. And so here's what he says, verse 1, chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, those Israelites with Moses, were all under the cloud and that they passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So two of the amazing demonstrations are told to us right here. They had the cloud, which is the pillar of cloud, that when they came out of Egypt, they were led by that pillar of cloud. It had the presence of God there with them. It goes on to say also about the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. That's another past privilege that they were a part of. Wonderful things going on. Then he says this strange little phrase. He says, and they were baptized into Moses. Sounds pretty odd to us, but all that really means is that they were participants in the benefits of Moses, the benefits that he experienced, the benefits of him experiencing God's work on his behalf. They were a part of all of that is all he's saying. But that's not all of the past privileges. Down to verse 3, if you see that, it says, they all ate the same spiritual food. Spiritual food just means it's food that was provided for them supernaturally from heaven, which we call that food was manna, absolutely, and drank the same spiritual drink. That was the water that was provided for them out of the rock in the wilderness for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That sounds a little strange also, but that's just an acknowledgement that God was with them along the way. In many places in the Bible, the Lord is referred to as a rock because he's a spiritual strength. He is the foundation on which faith is built. So Paul says, here are all these wonderful things, all of these past privileges that have gone on. He uses four verses to lay that out for them, and then all of a sudden, the mood changes that fast with what he says next. It all kind of reminds me of uh, a time I was playing with my brother. My brother was older, still is, older than I was, bigger than I was, stronger than I was, and he decided one day we were going to play pro wrestling. Uh, He was kind of into it at the time, and so this is what we were going to do, and he declared that he was Andre the Giant, who was a big name back then, and uh, I was going to be the other guy. didn't really matter what my name was. You never really know the other guy's name. He's just the one who ends up writhing in pain on the mat when the whole thing's over. He said, you can be that guy. It's like, all right, what do you know? And so he was up on the top of the turnbuckle, which in this case happened to be the back of the sofa. And he's about to give me a flying elbow drop when the door opens and my dad walks in as he's leaping off of the sofa. And all of a sudden, the mood changed that fast. From all the frivolity, all of the fun, Andre the Giant got a grounding. All right? That's what happened. Well, that's exactly what's going on here also. Paul is saying wonderful things, all these privileges, things were so great. And then, verse 5, nevertheless, this is the next thing he says, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Yeah, bodies scattered in the wilderness kind of spoils the mood, doesn't it? 
It certainly does. And I'm sure that this is why Paul wanted to use this sort of language right on the heels of all of the privileges is so that he might have the shock value to use to get their attention, to, to remind them of this is what has happened in the past so that you would not fall prey to that as we move, move forward into the future. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that past privileges do not equal future success. And he wants to say the same thing to us because we are also people who have experienced past privileges. We all have. Might have to do with occupation, might have to do with education, might have to do with your family, have to do with your friends, have to do with your faith, but we have all experienced past privileges. And one of our natural inclinations is to believe that past privileges just sort of continue. We're a privileged people, and so we sort of expect that things are going to, to go well, especially in the realm of faith. If you've come to a place where it's like, yeah, I've, I've, I've trusted Jesus as, as my Savior. I did that at one point, and so things are good. Things are good. And if you kind of slip up and you kind of fall aside for a little while, it's like, well, that's not, that, that's not that big of a deal because we've got the grace of God, right? And so it really doesn't matter that much how I live, and it could be that you haven't been experiencing sort of one-to-one correlation between here's something that I did that wasn't so good, and, and here was the consequence of it, and, and you haven't experienced that. But yet, we all probably have come to a place where we sort of wake up down the road and it's like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Well, perhaps you got there because you were presuming on past success. You were presuming on past faith. You were presuming on things that once were true between you and God that was a solid relationship. And then you just started to wander away thinking, well, everything's still going to be fine. Paul says to the Corinthians who felt that same way and were kind of living that same life, he says, no, 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 that's not the way it works because past Past privileges do not equal future success. Future future success is based off the fact that we're living out a day-by-day devotion with God. And even though you might have gone a period of time and it's like, it doesn't feel like things have, have gotten all that bad for me, we just sort of wake up one day and it's like, I don't want to be here. I'm not completely sure how I got this far down this road. Well, you got that far down that road because one little step at a time, you marched your way down that road. Maybe presuming on past successes, thinking everything's just going to be fine because at one point I was fine. At one point I was comfortable with where I was. But now I'm somewhere else. And some of you have just come back to church because you woke up and you said, I'm not in a good place. I'm not where I should be. I was presuming too much on something that had happened before that it would just continue, and it doesn't. And it's something that we will all come to the realization of if we allow that to go on, if we refuse a day-by-day-by-day devotion. Paul says to to the Corinthians and to us, don't presume on past success. Be in there every moment, every day, all in. It's the first thing. Another benefit of looking back to see the way ahead is that bad models equal good warnings. And Paul uses four specific warnings for the people. And he's saying, let me show you some bad stuff that those people did that should be a good warning for you on what you should do or what you should avoid. So these next four verses just sort of march us, march us through those. And the first of those comes in verse 7. It says this, Do not be idolaters, As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The first warning is about idolatry. 
Four different warnings we're going to take a look at. The first is about idolatry. This is a reference back to Exodus 32 when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and the people are down below and they're kind of getting impatient. Moses is gone like 40 days and, and they're like, well, we need to do something. And so they make the image of the golden calf and some of you know that story very well. And they choose to march into sin instead of keeping their minds and their hearts focused on the true God. And we can fall into that same trap because we, like they, have certain expectations for what God's going to do. And when he didn't do it for the ancient Israelites, they made a golden calf. And when God doesn't do all of the things that we might expect for him to do in our lives today, we can start to turn our back on God also. And we can start to push him away or just start to drift away a little bit because we're not satisfied with the way that he has been providing for us in our lives. And what we need to understand is that turning away isn't just sort of a momentary lapse. When we turn away from God and we turn our back on him and move in another direction, whatever direction we move in is idolatry. Because we're saying, I'd rather have this than you. Now, certainly that's not going to be bowing down to a golden calf for us, but we bow down to other altars of home, of car, sometimes of family, of spouse. You can worship your spouse, possessions, pleasures. First of the warnings he gives is that of idolatry, and we all, all succumb to idolatry. Second warning comes in verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Second warning, sexual immorality here. Paul is looking back to Numbers 25 where the people ran after their own pleasures instead of the will of the Lord and they ended up committing all sorts of lewd acts with foreign women and, and worshiping foreign gods, false gods, and the like. And there is a very severe punishment, judgment, that comes upon him. We just read about it here in this verse. And sometimes we wonder why the punishment has to be so strict. When we look at the activities of God in the Old Testament, we wonder, why does it have to be that way? Why can't it just be more, yeah, let's just do some grace and and give them the benefit of the doubt sort of thing? Well, I think our lack of understanding in this oftentimes stems from a lack of appreciation for the vile nature and the defiance toward God that that really is. If God is holy and if he has created us and fashioned us and given us life and a purpose and a meaning and a call to go forward and we're just blatantly disregarding what God would have for us. In fact, we're not just disregarding what he's calling us to positively, but we're choosing to engage and and directly oppose him negatively and in the activities of our life. Certainly, The sorts of activities that we see are in bounds for God. If he is the one who has established us and set us up and given us opportunity for life and for health and for meaning and for purpose, then we are in his care and we have a responsibility. And friends, the fact of the matter is the judgment that we see here on these people who blatantly and consistently defy God, when I know of the mercy that I've received, when you know of the mercy that you've received, that doesn't cause me to question God's grace. It confirms it because I see it in my own life and you've seen it in yours. A couple of warnings. Idolatry, sexual immorality. The third comes in verse 9. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. The third warning is about defying God. 
by defying God. This is a look back at Numbers 21 where the people charge God with unfaithfulness and saying, well, he didn't provide us with bread, he didn't provide us with water, and we don't like the food that he gave us. It's like we'd rather be back in Egypt under Pharaoh than we would be with Moses and by extension with you, God. And the punishment was that snakes came into the camp. And I don't know about you, but that would definitely get my attention if they started crawling around. I'm kind of like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, they open up where the ark is down inside the well and down on the floor. There are snakes slithering all over the place. He just says, snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? I feel the same way, and I think these people did too. But there was a cure, and the cure was that, snake, or that, that Moses would put a snake up on a pole, and if the people would look at it, they would be cured. When Carolyn and I were in Egypt, we went on then to Jordan for a couple of days, and, and we were up on Mount Nebo, which is where Moses has given the view of all of the promised land. And I showed you this picture once before. This is actually the, the shot from Mount Nebo down into the Jordan Valley. The Jordan River runs right along here. It's hard to see in this picture. It's actually not that, that big. Um, this is the north end of the Dead Sea. Jericho's on the other side of the river and Jerusalem on up beyond. But this is the view from Mount Nebo. And just over to the right of where this picture was taken is this sculpture right here. This is a bronze sculpture that has been erected more recently. But it has, it's depicting our scene. It's showing a serpent wrapped around a pole. This isn't just any pole. You can see that this pole is made actually in the shape of a cross. And what the artist is doing is he's bringing together what our passage is right here together with what Jesus says to Nicodemus when he is predicting the future. In John chapter 3, here's what he says right here. It says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The warning here is coming to those who are defying God. And then there's one more. It comes in verse 10. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Fourth warning is about grumbling against God's authorities. He's probably talking about either Numbers chapter 14 or Numbers chapter 16 where the people are very much grumbling about their present circumstance, wishing that it was different, wishing they could have all of these other things instead of having God. And that's always going to be a problem. So as Paul brings these issues to his readers' attention, I'm guessing that they would have started squirming because they're listening, and here's the list. And they're like, oh, that one's kind of true of me, and that one's kind of true of me. And it may be that you're sitting here squirming yourself today because you realize, well, that one's kind of true of me, and this one might be kind of true of me as well. And the temperature just sort of keeps rising as he goes on in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, Paul knew that there were a lot of people in the first century and in the 21st century who were standing firm or thought they were standing firm when they weren't really they were, as we were talking about before, sort of relying on something that had transpired in them at some point in the past. And because they had that moment in the past with God, because they had the experience of, in their case, being an Israelite, being a part of the chosen race of God, that they can kind of live however they want. And as a result, in Corinth and in ancient 
Israel and today. People are standing firm. Paul says, be careful. Be careful how you assess the quality of your present spiritual condition. Because for many people, they think they're standing firm. He says, be careful about thinking you're standing firm lest you would fall. He's just saying, do a serious and honest evaluation of what's really going on in your heart. Friends, that's what I'm calling you to do today. That you would do a serious and honest evaluation to what's going on in your heart and in your life. Do you just think you're standing firm while all the time you're falling? Just further away from where God would have you to be. Are you genuinely walking closely with him? This is such a concern for Paul. If you just rewind a little bit to the last chapter, right at the end of chapter 9, he talks about running the race. And he says he wants to run in such a way as to win the prize. But what he's afraid of and what, the verse 20, what verse 27 talks about is that he recognizes the possibility of being disqualified altogether. He's writing to a group of believers here, friends, being disqualified for the prize, living life in such a way we think we're standing but we're really falling. We think we're in when really we're out. And that our lives really have no significant spiritual meaning or dynamic at all. He's trying to sober us up. And so he uses some bad models to provide for us good warnings. Then there's one more thing here as well as we go on. One more key truth that Paul gives us is that being tempted does not equal giving in. Being tempted does not equal giving in. To people who are prone to giving in to temptation, he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Some of you are like, I know that verse. But you didn't know it was here. You didn't know the context that it had been given in. Where there are all sorts of temptations that have been given in to. Now just because there is temptation doesn't mean that you will necessarily fall into it. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's when we choose to give in to it. But temptation is going to come. He doesn't say here, if it happens... He says, the verse says, when it comes. But it doesn't mean you automatically give in to it. Temptation may draw you in, but you always have a way out. Temptation may draw you in, but you always have a way out because the promise that he gives to us here, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And that's great. But how? But how? Do I just hope for the best when the moment comes? Or is there something that I can proactively do to assist me when that moment happens? Because for, for us, how often does it happen that the temptation comes and we're in before we really even think about it? Happens all the time. So there's some things that we can do that help us to sort of pay better attention, to be more equipped when the temptation comes. So what are some of those things? Let me give you a few. The first of those, first way that we can look at this is to consider Jesus. Because Jesus himself was tempted three different times. And if you look at that passage, each time what it says is Jesus responds to the temptation. He says, as it is written, then he quotes a verse from Scripture. That is so powerful. The first way to help us to overcome temptation is through the Word of God. That's what 
Jesus was doing. He was allowing the Word of God to be in him and to wash through him. And so when the temptation come, came, he had plenty of store to draw from to assist him in the moment, to make sure that he was awake to the reality of what was going on so he didn't get sucked in before he had opportunity to defend himself in the moment. The Word of God. When Paul is talking about the, the way that we ought to gird ourselves for the challenges that are going to come our way in Ephesians 6, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. First way to overcome temptation is to be sure that we're in God's Word, that we're reading it, that we're allowing it to wash over us and through us, and that we would memorize it so that we might know it, so that it would prepare us for when those moments come. Second practical step to deal with temptation is what Jesus told the disciples to do. When He was with them in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The second is to pray. He promises the ability to overcome, but how often are we down the road and it's too late? But if we pray, we are constantly keeping in connection with God. And as we do so, our minds are more and more focused on Him. And we will have more and more attentiveness to the circumstances that are coming our way. And then, one more practical step for dealing with temptation comes in 1 Timothy 1 where Paul is giving young Timothy some advice for overcoming some specific temptations. And it's there that he says this, but you, man of God, flee from all this. That's the third benefit for overcoming temptation or the third tactic is just to flee. If you know, you, if you know you're in a situation where you're tempted, get out of there. Get out of there. It's not rocket science. Or if you know that there's a situation that may very well tempt you, don't go to that place. Don't hang with those people. Don't visit that website. And thinking about looking back to see the way ahead, and certainly the actions of the ancient Israelites show some extreme dangers and, and should provide for us some very strong warnings. But the fact is, you don't even need to look back that far, do you? Because we have some other examples all around us. You've seen the train wrecks of people who are in your life, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood. You saw the way that they walked, the direction that they went. And you saw the negative consequences that came about in their lives. And it's like, I need to learn from that. But how often do we go about repeating the mistakes of the people that we see all around us? happens all the time. We give in all the time because it's like, well, if I don't experience for myself, it might not be real. And there we are. Or you might not even have to look to the example of other people because you can look to the example of your own past. Because all of us have taken those steps where it's moved us down a road where we gave in to the temptation that came upon us. And we've seen the negative consequences that have come in our own life. And it should be something that just pushes us away from those activities. But how often is it that the things that tempt us are the things that we just continue to go back to? We continue to run back to them again and again and again. It seems that for all of us, there are just certain areas that we're more tempted than in other areas. And it keeps drawing us in. And you know what those are. Right now while I'm talking, you know what some of those are. But instead of fleeing... And running away from it, 
No shame in running from temptation. Instead of running away from those things that are landmines for us, we find ourselves tiptoeing around them. In fact, sometimes I'll get someone who will come and they'll ask me, how close can I get to this before it actually becomes sin? And if that's something that you wonder, if that's something that you do yourself, I'm tempted, I want to go there, I'm pretty sure I can go this far and it's still not sin, I'm going to go that. You're already stuck, you're already snagged. The trap has already caught you because you are choosing to toy with temptation instead of running the direction of Christ and giving Him your whole heart and soul and mind and strength, which is what He calls us to. Not a life of kind of living one foot here and one foot there, one foot kind of pursuing the temptation because it's a lot of fun and, and I certainly have a desire to do that and so I can kind of give in a little bit over that direction and then, well, it's church, it's time to get serious. No, 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 no. He calls us to 100% discipleship, followership. So Paul talks to people in Corinth. He says, you think that you are standing when really you are falling. You need to move yourself in the direction of Christ. And he says to us today, you are people who think you're standing, you're relying on other things, you're allowing yourself to tiptoe around the landmines of temptation and sin in your life. Don't even go there. Turn your back on that. Don't make those your idols. Turn to God and worship Him and give all of heart and life to Him. There are all sorts of temptations that come upon us. You face them all the time. Temptation in the workplace. Maybe you're a salesman and you need a deal so bad. And if you just fudge the numbers a little bit to your client, if you just make them a promise, you know you're not going to fulfill it, but you've got to put bread on the table at home. And sales have not been going well. I've got to get this sale. What are you going to do? School's starting back up all over the place. You're going to be in some class. You're going to be taking some test. Right over there is a smart girl. She's got the answers. You don't know the answer. And dad is going to be blistering mad if you don't do well on this test. I've got to do well. What are you going to do? In your relationships, what's it going to be about? The things that God calls you to are clear, the nature of the relationships we should have with our spouse and with our kids, but temptations are going to come upon us. What are you going to give in to? Where are you going to stand strong? You can as you allow the Word of God to be in you, as you pray, as you flee from those things. It doesn't mean temptation is going to stop. It will keep coming. And there's no sin in the temptation itself. The sin is when we choose to not pay attention to what the warnings are here and allow ourselves to step into it. So what are those things for you today? What are those things that are constant temptations for you? How are you going to take and apply what Paul is trying to talk to us here? Whatever that temptation is, whatever the sin that it leads to, you can look to all sorts of examples of where that's taken everybody else. Why is it going to take you somewhere different? In the moment, sure. 
It'll bring you everything that you want. But very soon after, it'll steal everything that your heart really needs. What's it going to be? And what are those areas for you today? I just pray that you would learn from the examples that Paul brings us, the examples that the people around you provide for you, the examples of your own past, and that you'd walk completely and wholly toward God, loving Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Our Heavenly Father, we are people who get tempted. We are people who too often give in. That's not where you want us to be. In fact, you're so serious about us moving in a different direction that you provide examples for us. Then you provide Paul to shine a spotlight on the problem, on the issues. Lord, we're people who fall into a place of thinking we're standing firm. Convict us, Lord, of those areas where we're standing firm on something that once was real that isn't so real anymore. lest we fall. Thank you for your promise of walking with us in the midst of the temptations that come our way and giving us the power to overcome. Lord, I just pray that we'd be willing to acknowledge it because for so many of us here, we already know what we need to do. We know the things we need to avoid. We know the things that we ought to flee. It's just that we choose not to. Lord, I pray you would bring us a courage and a conviction that we'd stop tiptoeing around landmines and that we'd follow hard after you. Lord, give us courage. Give us the boldness to go there. Give us the determination to live all for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.